This morning, um, before we come to the table, I'd, I'd like for us to consider the kingship of Christ is essential to our salvation. Okay, so we're going to be taking a look at that today. We'll get to our scripture reading in just a minute. The scripture is going to be from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. But before we get there, just a little bit of context for that passage. A few weeks ago, Pastor Kaiser took us through Zechariah. And chapter 9 and chapter 10 are dealing with Messiah's conquest. And it's in real historical terms. This is over the the conquest of uh, Greece and Rome specifically. But the passage that we're going to read today is is a pause for praise in the middle of that. And I want us to take encouragement just from that fact that our king moves in real history. And that causes us to rejoice in the midst of that. I'm going to be reading uh, Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. The Word of God. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Dear dear Father, we want to know you more. We want to know the Spirit more. We want to know your Son more. And as we contemplate the kingship of Christ this morning, I pray that you'll move, you'll move our minds, you'll change our minds, but you'll move our hearts right along with our minds. We thank you for the feast that you presented, and we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a closer look at this. But actually, before, before we do, this should be very familiar to us and Dominion Covenant Church. Verse 10 is the way that we got our name. I wasn't here. Um, Some people were there. Jeff was there. I don't know how everybody was here. Um, But um, Pastor Kaiser was here. But verse verse 10, uh, the dominion shall be from sea to sea. And we think about that. And we think about the kingship of Christ over the nations. But I don't want us to miss verse 9 either. Let's take a look at this. Behold, your king is coming. This is halfway down, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. So he is just. Here we see the the king coming, and he's bringing with him justice. What does justice mean in the midst of battle? Well, basically it means that Christ is not going to let any of his enemies go without being defeated. There will be justice. The enemies will be defeated, and he's not going to let the enemies overwhelm us. He's going to protect us as well. He's just. He's bringing that justice, but look at what else he's bringing, and having salvation. Now, Jesus is coming, and he's having the salvation. We know that kings, after battles, they have a parade, and they bring something. They bring bring a spoil, 
They bring a treasure. They bring look as a symbol of what, what we've won. Think about this fact that Christ's battle, here he comes. What's the treasure he brings us? The greatest thing is our salvation. That's what our king brings us when he comes. Well, we know that Christ is not just a king. He's a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. And there's a unity to these things because there's a unity to Christ. Paul said, is Christ divided? (laughs) Rhetorical question. No, Christ is not divided. He is perfect. He is unified. I, I would say, this is maybe one way of thinking about it. A prophet reveals things to us. A priest reconciles. But a king rescues. It takes a king to rescue. The catechism. You know, how, how doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. I love the verse, the proof text for this. It comes out of Isaiah. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So he's all of those things. And if you think about it, uh, it's not like he's doing one at a time. There, there, there is a unity to this. There's a bonding to, together. This. Let me just give you a couple of examples. As a prophet, Christ gave us a fuller rev, uh, revelation of the character of God. And as a priest, he offered himself as a spotless sacrifice. And in the process of doing all this, he triumphed as the king. You see how all those things fit together. Well, I'm reading a book um, called Messiah the Prince by William Symington. And this is, I think, a very important book for all time, but especially for our time, because it's contemplating what does the mediatorial reign of Jesus Christ mean in real terms? What is our response? How is, how is our life, how is our world to be structured based upon the reality that Christ really is reigning? But before he gets to all of those extensions and implications of Christ reigning, he deals with our own salvation. And he makes a pretty bold statement. It's a long quote. Hang, hang with me here. But just, just see what he asserts. Without confounding the distinction between them, this is these offices, we may therefore safely maintain the inseparable union of Christ's mediatorial office, a union which obtained in every pain he endured and in every act he performed or will ever perform on the acts, oh, sorry, on the behalf of the elect, in which it becomes the believer joyfully and gratefully to recognize and acknowledge, here it is, as the absence of any of them would disqualify him for performing the work of our redemption. All of those things, prophet, priest, and king, are necessary. One would disqualify him. And we know that. We know that a couple ways. We, we know that because a king conquers. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But we also know, as we've seen in the Scripture today, 
how many scriptures talk about the king saving us personally, our salvation. It must be true. It's in the scripture. Well, the Old Testament closely relates Christ's kingship with salvation. Isaiah 32, 22, the Lord is our king and he will save us. But since God is consistent, we would expect the same thing in the New Testament. And, uh, and we see that. Turn with me, if you want, to um, John chapter 18. John 18. Christ was <clears throat> accused of being a king. And Pilate asked him that question. Remember that? So we're going to read... Um, John 18, verse 37. John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, and that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. We have a king. He says he's a king. But then he also says that he's a prophet. Seamlessly, he's a king and a prophet. Let me just read another one from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Who offers sacrifices for sins? It's a priest, right? Offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Who sits down and rules? king from that time waiting till all his enemies are made his footstool it's necessary for christ to be a king for our salvation because kings are the ones that conquer psalm 68:16 you have ascended on high you have led captivity captive taken that captivity and grabbing hold of it and taking it away. That's from Psalm 68. But Ephesians 4 directly attributes this to our Lord Jesus Christ, our King. In His kingly role, He has taken away that captivity. He saved us. And then lastly, kings get glory for what they do. And Christ, before He went to the cross, asked for glory. If you want to turn there, John chapter 17, the, the high priestly prayer again, and I just love it. So you got to go there again. Jesus, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. This was in the context of salvation. This is Christ as a king. Now we have to ask the question, did it happen? Christ asked for the glory, for what he's about to do. Was he glorified for that? Hebrews 1.3. You can turn there if you want. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sin sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What greater glory. 
<laughs> sit down at the right hand of the Father. It was fulfilled. It definitely was fulfilled. <clears throat> you know, King James had, had a saying. King, I think it was James I, I'm not sure. No bishop, no king. Now, we would not agree with his logic or his conclusions in that. He, he wanted an Episcopalian um, church policy so that he could rule over the church. But there's, there's an element of truth in that, in that certain offices are required for certain functions. We would disagree with his conclusion. He said, no bishop, no king. But I think the Scripture shows us no king, no savior. Christ had to be a king in order to save us. And I'll just end um, um, by our covenant promises. This is, what, this is what we pray today. This is from Psalm 20. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. Let's pray. Dear Father, I... I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you show us the, the full picture of the kingship of Christ. We are so thankful that he is reigning now over the nations. We are also thankful that you provided a king to secure our salvation. You provided a king for the battle. It was necessary, and you provided it, and we thank you for that. We look forward to feasting at your table and um, in celebration of your kingship over our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.